0: Assalamualaikum and welcome back to another episode of Muslim Professionals the podcast and today's guest we have our very own Tabish Tabish Bamani is a D2C retention agency owner and also a serial entrepreneur and I'm super excited to kind of get to learn a bit more about him so Tabish how are you? Hello,
1: hello. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And it's good seeing you again.
0: Yes. So Tavish, I wanted to, you know, get things kicked off. You run a retention marketing agency. Can you explain what that is?
1: Yeah, sure. So What we do is we do email and SMS marketing for direct-to-consumer brands. And our goal is to activate customers that come to your website and then to retain them for a longer period of time. And we do this through education, through offers, and depending on where the customer or the brand's customer is in their journey, we will send out targeted and relevant messaging to them. An example would be a customer that's a prospect rather, who's just come in, our goal is then to activate them, either using an offer, you know, a welcome offer, those pop-ups you see on the websites. And that could be anything from like a 10% to a $10, whatever it really is. And then there's customers that are kind of on their way out, haven't bought from us, in from the brand in a while. And so our goal is to re-engage them, right? Based on, how far along they are. And then so that would also be maybe, hey, here's what you've missed out on since you were last here. Here are some new products that we've introduced. Here are some changes. And then maybe incentivizing that if the changes themselves aren't sufficient. And so we do that through email and SMS. All of our clients are located across the globe, Europe, Australia, New Zealand, USA. Unfortunately, none in Canada, which is where I'm from. And so we have a team of 7 people everybody from conceptualization copy design to execution and analysis. And so that's what we do in a nutshell. Not such a small nutshell.
0: Yeah. It's pretty incredible that you know when you're when you're covering all of these different facets of the marketing side of things you start realizing you know how many how many pieces of puzzle you kind of have to fit. In terms of an agency, right? Like you're, yeah. It seems like you're kind of acting like a CMO for for entire brands, but then you're doing it like times ten, or depending on how many brands you're working with, you know. So I I do want to understand a bit more about you know how how you kind of discovered your niche audience, right? So you, I'm I'm on your website right now. Mastrat and, or Mastrat. I don't, I don't know how to pronounce it. Yeah, Mastrat. Sure It's Yeah, Mastrat. It's, it's
1: okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you the story behind the name as well, but go ahead.
0: Yeah, so for, for one of the hardest things that I've noticed with a lot of entrepreneurs is figuring out who their target ICP or their ideal customer profile is. What led you to get into the D2C space specifically? And for those who don't know what D2C means, that means direct to consumer.
1: That, that's a great question. So I guess I'll preface this by saying Mastrad is, is a combination of two words, called master and strategy. So we're essentially target, positioning ourselves as masters of strategy when it comes to marketing. And there's no fixed path that we took. I didn't wake up one day and I said, hey, I want to do marketing email and SMS for direct-to-consumer brands. That kind of evolved over a period of time. And there is a process that I went through, and you could call it a process of refinement or you could call it organic evolution. What we initially started off with was doing lead generation and nurturing through email for real estate agents, specifically those that were selling new builds, and new homes, townhomes, and condos on behalf of builders. So that's how we started. And I quickly, and that was just me at that time, right? There's no fancy team involved. I quickly realized that real estate was a really hard market to stick to. The growth was very limited unless you were offering cookie cutter solutions. And the solutions we were offering were so complex and there there were so many moving parts, you know, you said earlier about puzzles, that it cost money for us, for me to do. And real estate agents just weren't willing to pay. The market wasn't ready for that. The builders are, but the but the realtors weren't. So fast forward a few years into it, about a year and a half into it, rather, one of my good friends who owns a media buying agency wanted help with email for one of his direct-to-consumer brands who was selling weighted blankets at the time. And at that time, this was the hot thing. So we white-labeled, fulfilled for it, and quickly realized that there's a lot of untapped potential as far as brands are concerned when they're not using email. I remember distinctly the first Black Friday Cyber Monday that we had for that brand. And over a three-day weekend, not even the whole full four days, right, which doesn't include Cyber Monday, we generated close to $300,000 in revenue coming just from email for a one-man operation. That brand was run by one person. That's That was my first foray into direct-to-consumer, specifically with email, learned really quickly about issues with deliverability, landing in spam, conversion rate optimization, and then COVID hit. And right around when COVID was starting and it was getting, you know, everybody was starting to stay home, things were going into lockdown, cities were going into lockdown, the demand for direct-to-consumer products increased exponentially. And so when that happened, I said, you know what, real estate is slowing down, People aren't able to do showings the way they wanted to. Builders have put a break on their marketing. I'm going to fully pivot into direct-to-consumer. And when that happened, that's when our agency started growing. We rapidly grew from just one man and a few contractors to a team of seven, like I said, and still have a few more contractors on board. And now we're fully in direct-to-consumer. So long story short, it was a process of evolution and refinement.
0: Were there struggles like that you had during that process. I feel like when things aren't going right, a lot of entrepreneurs typically just shut down. I've oh, seen it for myself too, so go ahead. The,
1: there there were lots of struggles and really the biggest struggle that us entrepreneurs have especially you know us Muslim immigrant population is is putting food on the table, right? And so I when I started this marketing agency, I had quit my family business. So I and I'm and I'm prefacing this because it's not all a success story per se. It wasn't all rosy when I left my family business. That business was import, export, and distribution. So I had a lot of understanding of logistics and supply chain, but I kind of wanted to leer away from it, steer away from it rather. The struggle that I had was, hey, am I going to be able to pay rent this month? will I be able to pay for my car this month, right? The the lease that I had. And not having a source of income for close to seven months while I got this up and running. And I just got married, by the way. It okay. hadn't even been three months after I got married that I started MassTrack. I couldn't get a job right before. It. And I said, you know what? I'm not going to rely on other people for a source of income. I'm going to take this in my own hands. So then on suit, a process of learning. And when you're learning and you don't have money in your pockets, you're kind of worried, right? And so you're hustling. Then I got my first client and I was like, okay, at least now I can pay rent. And then slowly expenses start piling up. You're like, okay, this is not enough. And the projects were coming few and far in between. I wasn't on a retainer with any client. But, you know, thankfully, you know, God makes ways and it kind of started becoming a little bit more stable. But then I look at everybody else and look at other marketers that started around the same time as I did. And I saw them like working for brands, doing marketing for brands, 20, 30, 40 clients, you know, revenue upwards of $100,000 just internally. And I, and I would say to myself, why why can't I get there? Why is it taking me so long to get there when these guys are seemingly able to do it in six months or a year or whatever, right? So there was definitely that mental struggle. The biggest struggle was the one that goes on in your head, right? And so I, my, I've been saying this since day one is if you stay at the table long enough Other players will leave. And with that, they will open up an opportunity for you. So you have to be prepared. You have to have understanding of the marketing landscape. You have to have your ears on the ground. But you have to be waiting for the status quo to change. And it might not be on your side when you begin. But you got to begin somewhere. And you got to stay at the table. Don't give up grit. Pure grit is what determines an entrepreneur's success. Grinding, and it's not glamorous, right? Grinding is not glamorous, like you're literally grinding your gears. You're doing that and you're trying to do these small things, daily, incremental, small actions that you take that eventually will lead to where, where you want to be. It might take six months, it might take seven years, Right. So the struggle is 90% mental, I would say.
0: So you talked about two really important things that I kind of want to touch on. The first one is you talked kind of desperation, right? There was, hey, you didn't have a job, and then you got married. Oh, would yeah. you say that, because I want to touch on this part first, and then the second part is the actual research portion like how you actually kept your head to the ground, what strategies you used to do that? Because I think that's like another core concept, but we'll focus on the first one. How much would you say that desperation played a part in enabling your brain to get into that grind mode? And then did your marriage affect you in a positive or a negative way in terms of getting you to where you're at today?
1: I think these are these are fantastic questions. So I, I will answer the marriage question first. If you have the right partner who has a vision with whom you can build an empire, you're going to be a lot more successful. At every step of the way, through the uncertainty, through the fear, through the anxiety, through the highs, my wife would keep on telling me, it'll work. It'll work. You got this. You got this. There was so much of that Support that I could lean on, that I felt that I can accomplish anything, even if it takes a little bit of time, and even if it doesn't come naturally to me. So yeah. desperation definitely played a role in the sense that I didn't want to take help. I mean, we're immigrant families, right? Like we we have generations of families in the United States and Canada back home, and the type of people that we are we rely on families and it's it's acceptable and it is encouraged to to rely on your family so i did i didn't want to do that but i i still wanted to pretend i guess or make believe that i have no support and do this for myself right so desperation definitely played a significant role but once again that desperation was as much real right paying the bills as it was mental this wasn't a i should do this this was a i must do this and if anybody Mm -hmm. who who's heard tony robbins talk these are the words that he uses right this was a must for me there was no failure for me i'm not the type of person who's given up i've never given up and i think that when i look back retrospectively Every single thing that I stuck to in my life, whether that was a little bit of sports or a little bit of academics or whatever I stuck through gave me the strength to then pull through at this point in time when I started my business. There was just no expectation of failure. It just wasn't there. Even though the fear was there, right? The fear was, hey, am I going to be able to pay bills? Yes, but am i going to succeed yes there was never like oh i i'm, I'm going to i'm not going to succeed but there were moments that were up and down and you have to reconcile these as an entrepreneur right your anxieties your fears of the day to day versus the bigger picture and your vision your goal and your belief in yourself and i i will say faith plays an important role in in getting through this 100% mm-hmm. faith Acts of service, volunteering really helps, and there's karma, right? I mean, whether you're religious or you aren't, and whatever degree of religion you know you are vested in, for a lack
0: of a better word, it plays a role. At yeah. least it is in
1: my in my experience.
0: So you know, you touched on failures, right? So I think like one of the biggest things that I personally, when I fail, is I. I have to keep reminding myself that, you know, as, as fast as possible, this failure was a learning lesson and I should just kind of push through and make sure that I don't make that mistake again. And it seems like, you know, that's one thing that people get hung up on is the defeat factor. And I'm sure you've probably mm-hmm. failed hundreds of times, right? But, you know, that's where the wife part or significant other part, whether you're a female listening to this married, you know, um, or a male married. So I think that another thing that a lot of dudes forget is just because you have, you know, you'll, you'll find a wife and, you know, and and she's supportive of you, Mm -hmm. you know, being supportive of her and her jobs and her things is also very important because I think, I know this is, a little bit off topic, but one thing that I've always tried to make a balance of, and yes, I've, I've had my failures in this, you know, with my significant other is making sure that look, her, her goals are also very important. And just because they're not as financially driven as mine doesn't make them any less important. And I'm sure Tabish that you kind of had to keep that similar balance as well.
1: Yeah, Zohib, it's very hard to be to be it, it, married, and I know people that constantly work on their marriage, and that's the only way forward, right? the the The, the question is, are you committed to this relationship? And if so, then everything is predicated on that, right? Everything builds its foundations. And you will have disagreements. Like, it is not rosy, no matter how people portray themselves in public, right? They have their internal struggles. They have to reconcile and validate their goals in relation to the other's goals, right? Yeah. One thing I will say is, in in the society that we live in, barring a lot of inheritance and you know, inheriting a successful family business or properties or real estate. Barring all of that, if you're not in that position, then pick your partner wisely. Have discussions about finances. Have discussions about intimacy. Have discussions about how to communicate and openly communicating. This is going to be a lifelong discussion or these will be lifelong discussions. But if you get into a relationship when you've kind of had these conversations beforehand and aligned, then your relationship is gonna start off at the right foot, right? You'll have done a little bit of that legwork before.
0: Yeah, I, I, think, absolutely the, do. I, I think the big, sorry to cut you off, I think really, you know, the biggest issues right now with marriage and and, and entrepreneurship and all this is, you know, guys, guys have this perception that this, you know, they listen a little bit of too much Andrew Tate or all these yeah. random dudes and they just think, hey, you know, this this lady is just going to do whatever it takes for me to for me to grow. But at the same time, you have to consider that she has her needs and growth and all that. And it's just as important as yours. They might not be the same goals, but yeah. you can make sure that the goals align. Like for me, my criteria before getting married was very simple. We didn't even talk about jobs per se, but it was more so morals values and and then it was hey if i if i went broke tomorrow would you trust me and if you like had this issue like infertility issues or whatever right like we had these weird conversations before getting married and it was a bunch of what ifs and uh, it made the relationship much easier like our fights are stupid they're like why'd you watch that tv show without me And I think that those are better fights to have than like financial fights later on because you guys didn't have like the same expectations before going in, Mm. right?
1: (laughs) So, you know, you know, know, 100%, 100%, like, I mean, having conversations about fertility, like these are things that us Muslim conservative families don't really have, or at least from this previous generation to our generation wasn't a conversation parents had with their kids, but our generation needs to break that cycle. Because if you don't solve for that now, future generations will struggle with the same problems, right? So you have to break cycles. And one thing I can say is I believe that this generation our generation has spent a lot more time in academia and have been exposed a lot more to news and to understanding different facets of the world we don't live in all, not all the time right i mean facebook is but we don't always live in our own echo chambers and then so we're aware of these things we we are aware that infertility for example because you brought that up is a very valid thing Right. Not just in terms of building, you know, giving birth to the next generation, not just a biological imperative, but also, like you said, this is a vision that a father, a potential father and a potential mother, future father, future mother have in life. Right. Not all goals are financial. Right. The vision is not financial, but can be predicated on finances. Right. There are times, I think, in couples' lives, and I can only speak for, for myself, is where if your plate is full, then it is your responsibility now to fill the plate of your significant other. right? Their goals now take priority. And once they're kind of where they are, now it's back to this relay. right? Okay, now my cup is full. Let me help you move forward with your goals. right? You guys need to give each other, and we do, breaks reprieve rest a recovery we're not always going to be 100% we have a kid right we we struggled we planned and we we tried to be prepared and we're fighting against time we're fighting against finances not with each other but like these are these are obviously things that feed into it but those goals are equally important right if not now then when right at some point the clock starts ticking the biological clock starts ticking. So once again, if you come back to the original goal, this was a must, right? And now that, you know, I still struggle with my business, right? I still have my ups and downs. I still have my doubts, right? But I'm still at at a point where my cup is full and now I can support my wife's goals and my wife's dreams, allowing each other to dream, to visualize or to envision, to really let your minds wander plays a very significant role in how you see today, how you see your future and how you see your life in general.
0: Yeah, I I totally agree. And it, it helps justify a lot of the things that, you know, we do that kind of move away from the traditional sense of what a relationship looks like in a movie, right? Like this isn't a Bollywood movie, life is not a Bollywood movie, you're not going to be dancing in the fields and, uh, you know, singing your songs and all that stuff. Sometimes relationships grow based on struggles, in my opinion. And, you know, one of those struggles is, you know, perhaps doing a business together or helping support each other's goals, visions, like whether you want to be an artist all of a sudden, and it's like, let's figure out a way to make that happen. Oh, you want to learn how to box all of a sudden, like, you know, like, who knows, but I think a stronger relationship can be created, and you can be an entrepreneur and be able to do that. But I do want to talk about the people who can't be entrepreneurs, maybe it's just not meant for them. Because if you don't know how to balance those things, there is no reason in hell that you should be forcing that upon your significant other where you're like, I want to be a startup founder and run an app. But now you've completely lost touch with your kid, your wife, mm-hmm. or vice versa. Your wife has lost touch with you because she wanted to start a, a, an app or something, whatever it is, mm-hmm. um, because if you can't balance it, like you shouldn't be doing it in my opinion, because you're just destroying multiple people's lives, including your own. I I've seen so many people try to get into med school. Now this is like a college example, but yeah, you know, they're in pre-med for nine years, 10 years. I'm like, when, when, when are you going to call it quits? Maybe you're just not cut out to be a doctor. That's not a bad thing. It's just your brain's not there. Like it's, it's, you're just physically incapable of being a doctor. So when are you going to accept reality?
1: You, you, know, you know, like this, man, so <laughs> hey, there's, there's a lot to unravel here. The, the first thing I will say is finding balance never comes naturally to anybody. This is something that we struggled with in my marriage, right? There was a time where I couldn't help with my daughter, with her diapers, with her chores. And the reason for that was I was literally working 12-hour days. And there's a time for that right? And for some people, that time might be just, you know, Black Friday season, like Q3, Q4. For some people, that might be a few months, that might be a few years. That's okay, because sometimes you can't find the balance, but you have to aspire toward it, right? There should be an
0: equal exchange of value, in my opinion, right? Like, okay, you can't change the diapers, but now your wife has a credit card, yeah, <laughs> you know what i mean like that you're allowing her usage of like that that's where my brain is at you know
1: yeah and but 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 it has to be within within reason and within the parameters of the relationships vision right so for example i mean let's take this credit card example hey we've got a kid And now we want to make sure that we set ourselves up for success so that we can send our kid to the best school. And we as a family can take vacations and we can wear good clothes. So the credit card comes into play, right? But there there is a time to be frugal and there is a time to be smart about spending, right? Just because you're spending all this time here doesn't mean the wife or the husband, because anyone could be the bread earner, gets a credit card with no limits. No, hey. There's a time where do not buy today what you don't need today. Buy tomorrow. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, of, right? of course. Of um, course. Yeah. And you're right about exchanging values. Hey, hey, if I'm focusing on, you know, spending 12 hour days sitting on this chair, why don't you help and take care of the chores of the house? We'll divide and conquer and we'll communicate, right? The key is to keep recalibrating because there we don't live in homeostasis right we yeah. always aspire to homeostasis but things happen so her cup may not be full right and then so i i will jump in reluctantly so i will jump in sometimes my cup is full so i can jump in without being reluctant The like i said the balance is really hard to find and it's adjusted on a day-to-day and even like you know quarters of a day basis right yeah. great morning tough afternoon right tough a great afternoon But the kid comes in cranky, tough evening. Things get thrown into a spiral. So to your point about not everybody being a doctor, not everybody being an entrepreneur, look, it took us a few years to get here, but I'm at a point where I don't have a boss sitting on top of me saying, hey, Tabish, what are you doing? You know, you're you're on my time right now. No, I'm here on my time talking to you and talking to your, your listeners. Because we built that,
0: right? Yeah. We, and I like that you said we. Because it took yeah, you and no, your wife this, to build it, for
1: sure. 100%. Like, if I was to say I did this on my own, I would be lying to myself. I would be lying to everybody listening. I'd be lying to you, certainly, right? I'd be lying to God, right? Because this this is... When you're in a relationship, it is no longer one person, right? Yeah. And a lot of our battles... Are around, hey, we're two people, we have responsibilities to each other, to this family, to the relationship, and all of that needs to be communicated openly, honestly, transparently. No blame gaming, right? When you say this, I feel like this, and I need it to stop or change, or I would like it to be this way. So instead of saying somebody that you make me feel this way, right? You're telling them that, this particular action that you took made me feel this way, and I I need this to change. So th- then that can go into nuances, right? You can say, "Hey, you know, because I've dealt with this before as a child, because it's a traumatic response." We can't deny the existence of traumatic responses in our culture, in our in in our families, in and I'm talking just generally in in our umma, the generation that preceded us, kind of. You know, at least in our our country, in our culture, thought a lot of things taboo, right? And we don't because we want these things to improve for our kids, right? We're not going to, you know, you hear parents all the time, our age parents all the time. I'm going to make sure my kid doesn't have to live through this or deal with this or experience this, right? And so we're addressing them actively and we're breaking cycles. We're breaking generational cycles and it's like a car that's driving really fast that suddenly has to brake. It's gonna, it's still gonna need some some time, right? Yeah, you need runway, and it doesn't happen overnight.
0: Yeah, and trans- I think transparency, like the formula, is easy, right? The formula is oh. easy to understand. It's hard to execute for a lot of people. I feel oh, yeah. like, and uh, oh yeah, that's the biggest roadblock. I do want to circle back though, because. Earlier in this call, you mentioned about keeping your heads down, researching, etc. Oh, yeah. People find that as a struggle right now. How yeah. do I research? What tools are there? Where do I even look? When it comes I, to I, your business, how did you do that?
1: Right? I love, I love that. that question because I think that fundamentally, anyone's success and I'm not talking just like, you know, business-wise, right? I'm talking about generally success in life is based on education and lifelong learning. So this doesn't have to do with just your academia or your university or your college because not everyone will go to college. Not everyone wants to go or has the resources to go. But we have the internet. It has democratized learning and education and you know in university we used to call it the emancipating function of media right it has emancipated people from bonds and from relationships where they are tied though how i started i can share my experience and i can share the resources that i've taken advantage of when i wanted to do marketing i basically went on facebook i searched for marketing groups i joined a few some were irrelevant some were really relevant And that kind of evolved into its own thing because people would post their experiences that you could take advantage of. You could ask questions and somebody would bring in a perspective that you'd never thought of. And then somebody would say, hey, I'm doing this webinar or that webinar, or this company is doing this webinar or that webinar. I would join those, right? So it kind of evolved. First searched on on Google, got onto Facebook, joined a group, talked to people within those groups. And then, you know, kind of branched out into webinars. And then, it turns out I'll give you an example. Like I learned about webinar jam and lead pages and drip way back when it was all brand new. Like, you know, around the time ClickFunnels was really popular. And ClickFunnels is a landing page builder for 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 those that are are wondering. And that's kind of how um, I started educating myself. And then I said, you know what? I'm executing for this small base of, of clients that I have. I have a lot of free time in the middle that I'm not really being productive because I'm done creating content or or I'm done doing work for the client Now I've automated this process. Tuesdays and Thursdays were my days to educate myself. So I would read blog posts. I would watch webinars. I would take notes. But the biggest thing that would really crystallize all this intake of information was two things really focusing on what problem I want to solve and then finding the education for that problem right because I could I could get education for a billion things in the marketing field and the question was always specialize 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 niche down niche down niche down right until you become the expert right so that was like a, a really really big thing so when when Tuesdays and Thursdays, I would do that, and then I would apply it on the Fridays and the week after, right? That's what really crystallized that knowledge and really took something intangible and made it tangible, made it experiential. And then that just became part of my repertoire. And over the years, I've built this playbook, right, on how to solve different problems for different clients, kind of like how MBA MBA students do it and MBAs do it consultants do it. They go through case studies after case studies after case studies, and they know how to solve those problems almost instantly. So Tuesdays and Thursdays were my education through Facebook, through groups, through webinars, and through blog posts, and then applying it on Fridays in the the weeks that, you know, that I didn't educate myself. And that's how I kept my ear to the ground, right? One thing will lead to another.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like, if if people start thinking of their brains as like a computer like there's random access memory ram and then there's storage in my opinion right random access memory how that works is you can't have too many applications running at the same time there's a limit of how many you can run otherwise your computer will freeze that's the same thing with i think how a brain processes if you have too much stuff it will freeze and then the storage side is how much data that you can actually store. And if you can keep maximizing on how much data you're storing, because what you said was I read, you you synchronize your learning, right? Wednesdays and Thursdays with that in mind. Oh, Tuesdays and Thursdays. Sorry, I apologize. Tuesdays and Thursdays, (laughs) you're synchronizing your learning on a week to week basis that you're dedicating a, you know, for your random access memory, your RAM and your, in your, personal brain, I'm only going to focus on that, you learn, collected a bunch of data points, and then you executed in the future in those other days of the week, the following week, right. So mm-hmm. I think that the like, if you can, if people started creating some sort of mental model, of, like how their brain actually works, it makes it much easier. Like what you did was synchronized learning. For me, I, I, I wasn't the best reader, or rather book smart guy in in college so for me it was really placing myself in the fire right so like how to play basketball like I never yeah. played my life until college and I just started playing and I sucked and I would keep twisting my ankle twisting my ankle twisting and then I figured it out I was like okay this is how I don't twist my ankle <laughs> this is how I do you know everyone's learning is a little bit different and I like your approach it's it's You've you've blocked out time for how your brain processes information and then you have execution on that information. And that execution is using mental models that you collected from other data sources, whether it was articles, whether it was podcasts, whether it was, you know, all that stuff. How important would you say networking played in in or the just the people you knew and talked to? Yeah. Would that also play a important factor? in what you you know ended up doing?
1: Before I answer that question, I, I wanna touch base on this mental model, if that's okay with you for a second, because I think that this, you brought up a really important point about how people learn and apply differently. I don't know if you've heard of Dr. Richard Brandler, Bandler. He's the, the co-creator, co-founder of NLP. And one of his very early books, I believe it was called Frogs Into Princes. I, I believe, yeah, I believe that was what it's called back in like 79 or 80. Um, one of his, his books basically mentioned how some people that couldn't do math or some people that couldn't solve logical problems had a different mental model and they just had to be taught that model. To then suddenly be able to solve a problem like some person didn't know if they should pick up a fork or a spoon right uh when they're going out to dining and so all of this he just distilled it down to that mental model and so if you can learn how to learn which itself if, if, if you're having trouble learning and trouble applying then you need to learn how to learn right and that's okay and it's really easy to do but once you do that Everything that you build on will be a lot smoother. So definitely check out Richard Bandler. And, you know, he's a controversial figure, right? Neurolinguistic programming is a very controversial topic in, in marketing and when it comes to ethics and morality. But definitely check it out because there's good that you can take from it. So as, as far as networking goes, you know, I, when you're working from home, which is what I've been doing for seven years, you don't really meet a lot of people because you're not in an office or, 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 you know, an environment where you're going out, drinking, you know, or like I don't know what you call them, happy hour, right? We call them senkaset, but like you're not meeting people in the same way. So the way that I met people was through Facebook, right? Through those groups where we were attending the same webinars or using the same platforms or applications. So definitely, like if there is an association Facebook group or like you're using a software, like we use Clavio for email marketing. We've built our entire business around Clavio. We're, we're platform agnostic, but because most of our business is built around that, we've joined, you know, I've joined the CLAVIO the group. I meet a lot of people there. I've joined the Shopify group because it is an auxiliary. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of how I started networking, right? There was no real life networking events I could go to, partially because it costs a lot of money. So that's how I started meeting people. The other way that I got the the word out was I was just creating videos on my phone, right? Nothing's fancy. And one of my friends from university, this is how I got my first client. One of my friends from university saw my video and, and called her brother up who is a realtor and said, hey, look, you don't have a website. You don't have a social media presence. This is the way the world works right now. And mind you, he's just a couple of years older than us, right? Not that old. He's not somebody in his like, fifties or sixties who didn't grow up with this. And she said, look, check out his video, go talk to him. And the place I least expected business from, I got business from. And that was all because of Facebook, right? I love Facebook for that reason. So the Facebook groups, the webinars, talking to people on those chats, making those videos, that was my first form of networking then answering questions that people had because now I'm trying to position myself as a subject matter expert. And so answering questions where the knowledge may not be specific to that niche, for example, restaurants, I have nothing to do with restaurants or marketing restaurants, but the knowledge from real estate is applicable there. right? And then so answering those questions, becoming a subject matter expert. And then fast forward when I could finally afford it, you know, it's only $180 But $180 was a lot for me to afford a co-working space. And so when I was finally able to afford it, I started meeting people there. And I started, and I connected with them. All sorts of people. Developers, marketers, competitors, right? Some people we're going to lose business to. Some people we're going to get business from, right? Some people you're going to collaborate with, right? So networking plays a really important role. One thing I learned recently, there was an event that, it was like an agency summit, right? E commerce agency summit. And a couple of my colleagues from Clavio had come down. These are people I've been speaking to for a couple of years on Zoom, on Slack, you know, as instant as communication can be with these guys. But it made all the difference to meet them in person. I think we spent four hours. Uh, collectively talking, me with my with my partner development representative, and then you know a few hours with my customer success manager or partner success manager. But the the depth that we could go into during those conversations really set the tone for me for the rest of Q three and Q four. So I can say with certainty that a I'm now going to go to networking events a lot more in person, right? B it was really motivational, right? You have to be your own cheerleader as an entrepreneur for a significant amount of time. For a significant amount of time. For me, this was about seven years. Me and my wife were my only cheerleaders. Now we're slowly like, you've become one of my cheerleaders, right? You've become a champion for me. The person I met from Clavio has become a champion for me. And this is kind of where I want to be in life, is where the momentum builds on itself, right? So, that only happens with networking. And that doesn't have to be in person. It can start off on, you know, just chat just on Facebook, just on Slack, just on Twitter, which is where I met you. But this is what it should evolve into. Like the goal should be more for all and that can only happen I think, I think and it could be corrected through networking in person.
0: 100% and that's why starting with some professionals hopefully inshallah people start actually meeting in person instead of just on a WhatsApp group asking for a job every five minutes. Because in my opinion, if before you ask for any favors, build a relationship, that's one two. provide value without asking for anything in return. And then let like three let, you know, fate kind of play itself out. I think typically if you do good, people do good back, whether it's now, later, but having that expectation every time. That's the the biggest issue. Now, we are nearing the end of the show. I did want to ask you, what is one major tip that you would give to someone wanting to start their own business?
1: Oh, that's a tough one, but that's an easy one, actually. Just start. Just start. Done is better than perfect. Mm-hmm. My business has evolved over seven years. More more in the last two than the years before that. And it's going to evolve going into the future. But none of this would have happened if I just didn't take the leap. So just start. It's easier said than done, but it's as simple as it gets, right? Do the work and you will find the energy to do the work. Do the work and you will find the path you need to walk on to get to where you need to get to. But if you don't start, you're going to miss that opportunity. Now, this time in our life, probably going to be maybe the only time in our lives where we have an opportunity to build wealth the way that we see people building wealth. It's not impossible. It takes a lot of smart work, and in many cases, it takes a lot of hard work, but we could build a lot of wealth. We could build generational wealth. Our kids could be set, right? And for that to happen, we need to start now, right? I know people that are younger than 30 that have a million dollars in their bank account through dropshipping, right? I One of my clients works out of his home for the past uh, three years on his way to a 40 to $60 million revenue operating out of his home. It isn't as complicated. It isn't as glamorous. You don't need offices. You don't need employees to start that's another conversation obviously but just start and you will find your path
0: i love it thank you so much brother for everything this was an amazing conversation i i learned a lot from you and i think that this is going to be a very valuable call for a lot of the people that end up getting this far and listening and i totally agree you there is no excuse there is no excuse to not you know, accomplish the things you want to accomplish, they might not be at the level that your brain is saying. But hey, getting started is better than not doing anything at all. So with that, thank you again for hopping on. And I am looking forward to following your journey and seeing how far you get to in the retention space, but then outside and your next endeavors.
1: Thank you. It's been a pleasure talking to you and hopefully your audience will gain benefit from this. And I'm I'm definitely open to doing a follow-up quite, you know, question answers with them. Maybe we could do that on Twitter Spaces if we can get it to work.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> All right, man. Assalamualaikum. Right. Catch you later.